we have looked at this, we've been looking at the life of David and how that he was anointed king over Israel. And the moment he was anointed, guess what? The enemy attacked. Some of you right now, you're being attacked. It's not because God is angry with you. It's not because God is against you. It's because there's a breakthrough scheduled for you. There's a breakthrough scheduled for you in that area. So whatever area is, seems to be the most intensified, that's the area that you're going to receive a breakthrough. I believe it. We see that David went out and faced the enemy, and he called the place Bel Zeraphim, which means master of breakthroughs, plural. We find out that God is not just a master of breakthrough. He's the master of breakthroughs. And so maybe you need to multiple walls torn down. Don't worry. God is a master. He's well acquainted. He's an expert in the area of breakthrough. And so as we continue here, what we find out is that the barriers that are against us, hear this. Mom and dad that are sitting out there interceding for your children, hear this. The strongholds are not stronger than your prayers. The strongholds are not stronger than your prayers. The barriers against you are not stronger than the blessing that is for you. Keep trusting God for your children and your children's children. But today I, I see David, and we have talked about it even last week, and, and the we saw how that David was a man of God who we understand he shows us things that we can cling to or we try to reach out and to model in our own lives. But we see that David was a man through the course of his life, he would inquire. You notice that Saul didn't inquire. We find out that David was a king after God's own heart, and each time he would inquire of God as to what direction he should take. So we saw last week as, as David would put the Lord first, first in his life. As Jesus said, seek you first the kingdom of God, all of his righteousness, and all those things to be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. And what we find is that when we seek first the kingdom, it keeps our focus where it needs to be keeps our trust where it needs to be, and it keeps our priority in alignment. But as I look at David here, he is now king over all of Israel, all 12 tribes. David is now king, and he would be for the next 33 years of his life. But here David is, is he's, there's a key to his success. Some of you in this house today, you've been looking for the key to that success. Maybe you've gone to classes and leadership meetings and you, you've heard from the corporate world what the key to success. And let me tell you, there, there are things that will work for you to some degree. But there's an ultimate key to success for your life. David discovered that. He modeled that before us. The key to David's success was he was a worshiper. He was a worshiper. You've been looking for the answer, there it is, a worshiper. Well, what's the definition of a worshiper? Well, the textbook definition is this, the expression of adoration for a deity. An expression of adoration for a deity. To show reference to a deity. We know there's only one deity. There's only one divine, and that is the Lord God. To honor that deity with religious acts. Did you participate in worship today? Absolutely. Some of you did. Some of you are still just kind of trying it on. That's okay. 
That's all right. But is that all there is to worship? Showing honor and expression and reverence. That's part of it. Showing up to church on Sunday, Wednesday, is that part of it? Yes. Is having personal, private time of devotion and worship, is that part of it? Yes. But let me tell you, the ultimate in worship is this. When God is the center of my existence, and he dictates my governance, my guidance, and all goodness comes from him. When he is the hub in the center of my wheel, when he is the sun in my solar system, when he is the center of my universe, that is when we begin to declare worship. Amen. Now, as we look here to God's word, let me just give you as a text before we read 1 Samuel. As we look at David, David was the life and a man who modeled worship before us. But the Bible tells us in John 4, 23, but the hour is coming, Jesus speaking, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to let you know today that God, as you have come in searching for God and looking for the Lord, the Lord has been looking for you. Heaven is on the hunt for worshipers. Now, as we see David, I want to see in the beginning of his life, because we see a man, you, you see the man there as the king over all of Israel. That was the call of God upon his life. But it was 20 years in the making. It was 20 years in the making. He didn't just go from the sheepfold to the, to the palace. He didn't go from the, his father's house all straight to, uh, to a beeline to occupy the throne of Israel. Now, as we look here, I want us to see the origins, the beginning, where David begins to teach us and show us and model before us what worship looks like. I want you to begin here as King Saul would not obey the commands of God. And thus he lost the ability to rule over the kingdom of God. If you're going to be in authority in the kingdom of God, you've got to follow the king. Amen? You've got to follow the king. Saul was not willing to do that. So now the Lord goes to Samuel, the prophet, and says, Samuel, I- I've provided for myself another king. And he's over in Jesse's house. He's a Bethlehemite. And so I want you to go to Jesse's house, and then I'm going to show you when you get there which one of his sons will be the king over Israel. And so we find out as Samuel shows up in the little area of Bethlehem in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to read down a little ways. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. I'm in 1 Samuel 16, this is verse 5. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that the Lord looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord 
looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And then he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Aren't you glad for a prophet that hears the voice of God? Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. There he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. For we do not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and he brought him. And now he was Rudy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. I want you to notice here that God is calling forth and is looking for worshipers. And the Lord God knows where to find his worshipers. Amen? Now, it's, as I look to the Word of God, I want to see what the Lord has recorded in His Word. Sometimes things just stand out to me, and I think, Lord, why did you do it that way? Any Bible teachers, preachers out there, and you have the same questions, Lord, why did you include that in the text of Scripture? And as I look to the Word, what I see is that the Lord didn't show Samuel the face of David, nor spoke to him until David showed up. I thought, why did you go through that whole ritual where you've got seven sons passing before and you just didn't tell Samuel from the beginning? Anybody ever looked at that and thought, hmm, head scratcher, what are you up to, God? But I, I, want you to, I want you to see something here. That God knows how to find the worshipers even when nobody else is looking. God knows where his worshipers are at. Go ahead and take that down, if you will, guys. I'm always catching it in the corner of my eye, and it distracts me. But we find out that here, Samuel shows up to Jesse's house and says, all right, show me. Show me your sons. He lets the eldest, and Samuel said, surely this is the one. Look how tall and broad-shouldered he is. Looks like he's been chiseled out of a rock. Doesn't say that. But maybe you could embellish a little bit with me and just look at him and say, surely the eldest son, he should be the one. He's the one called. Or it said, no. Well, maybe the next one, Abinadab, no. The second born, no. Maybe Shaman the third born, no. The other ones, we didn't even hear their name. Just kept passing by and passing by and passing by. It's amazing to me as we look at that. I think it wasn't only to tell us that God knows what he's looking for. He knows exactly what he's looking for when it comes to the call of God and he's looking for a worshiper. He's looking for one that's not sitting at the house, looking for the promotion, but the one out in the field working and laboring. The one that maybe might have, might have been discounted and disregarded and pushed aside. And maybe the world has looked at you at a certain lens and you have begun to believe that propaganda, the enemy, to prevent you from fulfilling the call of God. 
But let me tell you who God is calling. He's calling the worshipers to come forth. He's calling the worshipers and he knows where to find them. He knows where to find them. It's usually the ones that are busy about the Father's business on the command out in the field, enduring the elements and the labor. And folks, as we look at that, I want you to see God doesn't see as man sees. God sees the heart. And when we get to the place in our Christian walk in life where we really are more concerned with what God thinks about us than what the world thinks about us, then we might be on the right track. Then we stop blaming others for our condition and our situation. We stop looking around and wondering why we haven't been noticed whenever we need to gather the attention of the one who matters. Worship. How does this pertain to breakthrough? Once we learn how to worship, I believe there's going to be a breakthrough in this house unprecedented. I believe the glory of Almighty God will not be shared with humanity and with flesh. The glory of God will rest upon flesh, but it will not be as a result of flesh. It will be because God said, now I can trust them with the anointing. But see also, the Bible says that David was anointed in the presence of of his brothers in the presence of his brothers line them up Samuel one after the other line them up Samuel one after the other now understand this worshipers don't need to validate themselves God will do the validation not even because a worshiper wants validation but let me tell you when God gets ready for you you keep being faithful because heaven favors the faithful Heaven favors the faithful. If you'll just be faithful in the little things, God will see that as the testing ground of your faith. And as you are faithful in the little things, then he can trust you with more and more and more. Be faithful in the small things, and you'll understand your focus will be where it needs to be. That's the heart of worship. God is the center of our existence. I've had this conversation in times past when people were pointing fingers of blame at the church. The church is not doing their part. People are not doing their part. But the world is, is, is chaotic. And my response to those questions, it was only by the wisdom of God or those accusations against the church. I said, stop looking at everybody around you. And let me ask you this question. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. What are we doing for the kingdom of God? God knows where to find his worshipers. And so somebody out there, you've been wondering, God, do you know where I'm at? Do you know what I'm going through? Do you understand the trial and the situation that I'm in and the tribulation that I'm facing? Let me say to you, God is well aware of your situation. You just keep worshiping God. You just keep magnifying the Lord and do what you know is right. As we look here, we find out God knows who he's looking for. Worshippers worship when no one's looking. Worshippers worship when nobody's looking. David's out in the field. He's a worshiper. He's worshiping when nobody's looking. How do you know that? Well, the Bible says and recorded that he was out there. The harpist was playing in, the, in there. In just a few moments, we'll find out that the, that the worshipers will get noticed when God says it's time. Matthew 15 and 8 tells us this, Jesus speaking, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
God understands the condition of the heart. He didn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward. But I notice here something in God's word. is In verse 11, Samuel is there. He said, do you have any more sons? He said, well, we got the youngest, David. He's sitting out in the field tending the sheep on my command of his father. He's the youngest. Maybe that was his duty as, a, as, as the youngest son. Maybe each one of them served their term, turn. I don't know. But I do know that David was out there and he's been faithful. God recruits from the field. The Lord was looking for a prophet. He found Elijah and Elisha, and he was out there plowing in the field with all the rest. And God looked for a prophet. He went to the field. When the Lord was looking for a, a, a wife to marry the Redeemer, oh my goodness, where did he find her? He found her in the field. Let me tell you, God recruits from the field. If you want recruitment, if you want to fulfill God's will, be faithful. Commit this gospel to faithful men, faithful women. God recruits from the faithful lot that will say, God, I will do it when nobody else is looking. Worship. It's not about superficial. The enemy wants to peddle to the church a, a superficial experience. They say, well, if you go through all the rituals, you go through all the ride, if you check off, okay, Sunday morning I went to live class. I should get double for that. And then I went to morning worship, and I even raised my hand. You should get three and four stars there. No, you do what you do because it's in you to do. So as we look here, what we find is that a worshiper is here. And now Samuel says, we're not going to sit down until David gets here. There is unrest in our world today. And it's not all because of the enemy's puppet playing. There is an unrest in the world today. And let me say to you, this present suffering will not compare to the glory that shall be revealed. That all of creation is waiting, anticipating for the earnest expectation of the manifestation of the sons of worship. There's an unrest in our world. Because the glory of God is going to flood the house of God. And the house of God is going to reach out by the loving hand of the living God and reach this community and the surrounding area. There's an unrest. The world is waiting upon the creation, I should say, is waiting upon the manifestation of the sons of God. The unrest is not just all of the evil that is taking place in our land and it should grieve us. It sure tear our hearts to the core. But folks, there's an unrest because God is raising up some worshipers. He's raising up some worshipers in this place. Those that have decided that God is the center of my existence. He is the center of my universe. He is the one that I'm after. And the Lord God tells us in 2 Chronicles 16, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole of the earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Amen. Worshippers, that should cause you to begin to, be, begin to take a, a little bit of, of, of life. Breathe it in. Because God is looking. He's looking for a people. That he can cause the glory to set upon them and to the anointing to rest upon them. I see in the word of God, David was anointed three times. You ever notice that? He was anointed at 
in, at Jesse's house, Bethlehem, his father's house, to be king over all of Israel. And then he was anointed to be king over Judah. And he took lodging there at Hebron. Now, seven years later, he was anointed over all of Israel. He didn't go straight from the sheepfold to the palace, understand. But what I see is a progression. There's an anointing that you have been anointed with at salvation. You are anointed because Christ Jesus lives inside of you. Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. If you're a child of God, you're anointed. You're anointed. But what I also see is that there's been an anointing put upon the church at given ages and stages where the church has begun to grow. But I believe, folks, there is an end-time anointing, an empowering of the people of God, and an empowering that we are going to need to accomplish the will of God. There's a progression. It's a beginning. It's a middle. But, folks, I don't know if you've looked around, but we're getting near the end. Amen? And we need an anointing of the Spirit to walk in the authority God has given us. It's always a progression. Is it, all, is it resident there within us from the beginning? Yeah. But we're not quite ready for the next step unless we stay on the journey. If we'll stay on the journey, we'll get to the next step and the next step. We'll get to the next step. And it's not that we're any better than anybody else. It has nothing to do with that. It's whether or not God can trust us with what he has given us. I knew from the very beginning all three of my children had a call of God upon their life. But when, when they were toddlers, I didn't slap a Bible and a microphone in their hand and say, hit the streets, get out there and start preaching. I'd go back that Bible. There's progression. God is leading us to a place. I want you to see something, and this should, God knows where to find his worshipers. And he's no, he knows what he's looking for. But I want you to see something as well. Look with me in the verse of Scripture. We got time? We got all kinds of time. Let's look here. Notice there that in verse 14, let's just read down a little ways. You, you enjoying this? Okay, you five stay with me. Y'all get to leave early. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul in a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. I believe that was a spirit of conviction that fell upon him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing, this is verse 16, on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from the Lord is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to the servants, provide me now a man who can play well. Bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David Oh, watch this. Who is with the sheep? <laughs> Who is with the sheep? Here is David, and God is getting ready to promote his worshiper. Right. Where am I going to find him? 
Same place God found him. In the field. Being faithful. How will he be known? Well, he's faithful. How do I know that? Because he's in the field with the sheep. He's worshiper, so you can trust those worshipers. I worked on a job one day. We had 60 employees. We got into a, the company got into a crisis, and they kept cutting down and cutting off and cutting off. I was looking to get laid off. We went from 60 to 12. We went from 60 employees to 12. And it wasn't any boast upon me. It was before we ever went into ministry. But what they knew, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, I was going to be in church. If we had an emergency job, which we had on average at least once a month, I would clock out, drive an hour home, and I would go to church. I would, I would be there in ministry many times, and then I would drive back to work, and I would clock back in, and I would finish out my shift well into the next morning daylight hours. What was God doing? He was finding out if I would be faithful in the field. I wouldn't be here today. You will get where you need to be if you'll be faithful in the field. Was it enjoyable? Absolutely not. <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> but the very testing ground of your faith is when nobody's looking. Nobody sees. Where is David? He's with the sheep. Let me say, as you look at David's life as a worshiper, you can't find it. David never promoted himself. Worshippers don't have to promote themselves. I know those that have been to the aggressive tiger school of, of, of aggression in business say promote, 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 put yourself out there. Let everybody see so they can know what's going on in your world and life. Yes, we need to celebrate absolutely. But let me tell you, there's nowhere that David said, hey, I'm the king, I'm the king, y'all come, y'all come on now and follow me. No, and Samuel anointed him, he went right back to the sheepfold. And he stayed there until all of a sudden he was noticed. So David goes, now he's, he's not promoting himself. Worshippers, here's a great sigh of relief that you need in your life. You don't have to promote yourself. You might as well just lay that down because you're not getting anywhere anyway. You don't have to tell anybody where you're at, what you're going through, and all of those things. And yes, uh, what I mean on the measure of promotion, yes, you need to share your burden with one another and help us pray together because I need you and you need me. But let me tell you, folks, David, as a worshiper, never promoted himself. He went from a shepherd boy to a harpist. From a harpist to an armor bearer. From an armor bearer to a general. From a general to king over Judah. From the king over Judah to the king over all of Israel. And he never one time promoted himself. He let God make the promotion for him. Because a man's gift, a woman's gift will make a way for them. Doesn't matter if you feel it, whether you want to receive it or not. It is not my method. It's not my principles. It's in the Word. And we see here worshipers have no need to promote themselves. Because God will make a way where there is no way, where there seems to be no way. God knows where to find his worshipers. He knows how to promote his worshipers. And let me tell you, he knows how to position his worshipers. Flip over the next chapter there, if you will. God knows how to position. 
I have asked the question over and over again. Lord gave me the answer as I look here, even of, of recent months, and I found out uh, recent years. It was an absolute miracle that David slew Goliath. Bar none. I mean, uh, in your head, you're dead. Uh, nine foot six warrior, giant, Valley of Elah, knocked him dead, ran up on top of him, pulled his sword out of his sheath. Oh, I love the story. You know I do because I preach it. Pull that sword out. I don't know if he was still had a tick in his heart or not, but David took that sword and cut off his head. Woo! Good stuff. Come dragging back the sword, picked up Goliath's head. What do you want to do with that, David? I don't know. Put it on a spigot in the front yard. Scare off the crows. I've got a scarecrow. I need to put this on. It'll scare somebody. It scared all of Israel. Come on, let's put it up there. Why the head? Oh, I could preach and preach and preach on this, but why do you cut the head off the giant so he can't talk to you anymore? Some of you cut the head off the giant, but he's your little puppet master. You're still put your hand up behind and you're talking for him. Cut its head off. Throw it in the tent. Take the sword with you. Weapons formed against you is not going to prosper. Oh, come on now. But we see here... We see here in 2 Samuel, what the greater miracle for me is this. All of Israel were there in their early days of fighting. They'd been to war. They had many battles. But they entrusted the fate of the entire nation to one young worshiper named David. Okay, David, there's chatter in the camp. Goliath's doing what he's been doing for the last 40 days, morning and night, challenging, challenging, challenging. Nobody is stepping up in the valley. Long comes a worshiper. See, because you find out there that David would go back to the field even after he was called in service of Saul. And he would go and he would tend the sheep. He, he, he would go back and he would take care of the sheep and then would call and play the harp for Saul. And now there's chatter in the camp. As David's saying, is somebody going to come take care of this, this giant? Is somebody going to take care of this, uncircum this uncovenanted enemy? This one who has no authority or power over the children of God? Will somebody get out there and take care of him? Word comes back to Saul. David, what are, you, what are you doing, son? Don't let your heart fear. Don't worry. I'll take care of him. I'll, I'll, I'll just take care of him. Because he is uncircumcised. Now, I just say, young people, I release you in the name of Jesus. Don't be limited by my faith. Let your faith grow and go and do what God has called you to do. But the amazing thing is not that David asked, but Saul acquiesced and said, Okay, David, you go out there. For me, that was the greatest miracle of the day. But how did that happen? Because God had positioned him through relationship. 
Saul knew David before David challenged the giant. God positioned him through relationship. Until we understand, church, the value of relationship, we're going to have a hard time reaching the harvest of God. There's not one enemy to the Calvary that's in here today. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And let me tell you, when we get to the realization that relationship is the positioning, then we understand what God is doing. And we don't position ourselves in relationship to manipulate, to get something out of someone. I've got a lot of folks in my life. I would call them friends, quote, unquote. But most generally, their relationship is based on what they want from me, not what they will give to me. I will be your friend as long as I get this. They don't say that. Of course not. They just linger about in the darkness, and it's always, surf it's always swirling around in their heart. I'll follow you. I'll be near you. I'll be your friend, but I, I need something. I, I, I need something. I need, I need that relationship because I need that authority you're walking in. I need those influences that you have. I need what you got. Don't you love those kind of relationships? Makes your heart feel with what? <laughs> Let us not be individuals who build relationships for what we can get out of someone. Let's build relationships according to what we can give someone. Everything you have flows from relationship there's not one thing that you have that has not flown that has not flown has not come forth as a result of relationship if you want abundance in your life build relationship around you not for the sake of of abundance for the sake of fulfilling the call and the will of God because the Lord is bringing a harvest in this house and the, the Lord said they will know you by how you treat your brother, your sister. If we can't treat each other with Christ-like nature, you're not going to fool those that are in the world. And I'm not, if you're looking for a church, you're not going to find any better. I promise you. If the Lord's calling you here. I love this church and I love God's people in this house. And we know this, we've got purpose. We've got purpose and the purpose is to fulfill the call of God in this house to reach your children and your children's children. And the way we treat one another is going to matter in the end. So you're in a place right now, some of you, and you've been striving for promotion. Promote, promote, promote. When you need to get back to the place where you serve, you serve, you serve. I venture to guess, according to the word, that Saul was not the easiest person to live with. I wouldn't want to be in service to somebody who's always throwing spears at me. I don't know, Jonathan, you think your dad's got something against me? <laughs> he nearly got me with that last one. <laughs> But what David never did, he didn't raise his hand against Saul. 
He was on the run in the wilderness for seven years. You may stay on the run until you stop raising your hand against your Saul. Two opportunities, everybody around him said, kill, kill, kill him and your troubles will be over. Tear him into nothing and your troubles will be over. David went as far to cut off the hem of Saul's garment. And he said, the, it just tore his heart out. He said, no, we're not going to touch him. God will avenge and God will promote. Why? Because the Lord's opinion, his favor, his blessing is the only one that matters. Worshippers, God knows where you're at. When he gets ready for you, he'll call you up. Worshippers, when he gets ready to put you on that next stage, don't worry about it. He'll cause you to be noticed when nobody else is noticing you. Because somewhere in that venture, somewhere in that progression, somewhere in David's life, uh, somebody walked past that field and David is out there playing that harp, worshiping God, singing to the Lord, comforting the sheep, taking care of them in thick and in thin. Maybe that one, that servant that saw him, maybe he saw David tearing, uh, tearing into that bear one day. Maybe he was the one that walked by and he saw, he saw David uh, have a hold of that, uh, of that lion in a chokehold and started killing him with his bare hands by the spirit of God maybe he's the one that told King Saul that I've got you a mighty man of valor he's a worshiper he'll take care of business let God promote you let God position you maybe the Lord has positioned you and you just haven't realized it today maybe that relationship that's there today is one that needs to be fostered in the sense that maybe you need to give it an opportunity.